morning, Paula. Hi, Mitch. How are you? Great to see you. Wonderful to see you, Paula. So excited about this session. Um, you know, part of our our, uh, our whole format here is giving our spiritual story, our, our spiritual path story, spiritual psychological path, how we got to where we are, why we're on the path. And I think it's something that all our listeners can relate to. Either they're hopefully about to go on their own path or they're already on their path. And a little advice on what some of us went through might be really, really helpful, but definitely interesting for them. So I know a bit about your story and I find it fascinating. So why don't you tell us exactly what put you on your psycho-spiritual path, how you got to where you're going now and to where you are and what made you want to go down this road? Thanks, Mitch. Such a great question. And when I think about it, I look back and uh, I think about this one time when I was really young, actually, maybe um, six or seven, and I was sitting with my mother at bedtime. And I asked her, uh, is there a God who created all this, who created us? And she said, nope, there is no God. It's all about uh, human achievement. We should focus our energy on just thinking about us in the human realm and what we can do to make things better. And I was culturally Jewish and actually, interestingly, that's part of the, the Jewish tradition as well, that you just focus on action, human action in the world. And this was a great blessing in many ways because I did a lot of things. I achieved a lot in my life. So my parents were achievers as well. So my mom was a doctor as well as a mom of four. Uh, one of the, the first women doctors in Argentina, and she used to go out to um, poorer neighborhoods and help out. And then my dad was also a social activist and a civil engineer. Um, and we moved to Canada when I was nine, and I was the youngest of four siblings that also achieved a lot and had PhDs and all these things. So then I just continued. So um, I went to McGill. I got an undergrad in political science and philosophy. I got two law degrees. Uh, and I traveled the world. I, I went to Spain to work at a law firm. I learned French in France. I went back to Argentina for a little bit. So I had done all these things. Um, I even uh, became a fitness instructor because I loved that. And one summer I worked at Club Med as a fitness instructor for the whole village. Um, so all lots of things that looked really good, right? People thought, wow, she's really successful. Um, and there was this moment where I worked really hard to get into one of the top law firms in Toronto and I got in and then I had to be a summer student and an articling student and then I finally became an associate. So I had this big office in this big golden tower and then I looked out the window and I thought, now what? Right? Like each time I achieved something, it was like, what's next? What's next? There was no, um, sense of of satisfaction or contentment it was like well i must be missing something so that's when i thought okay well maybe if i look perfect then i'll be happy and i developed an eating disorder becoming really obsessed with dieting and and going to the gym and just that became kind of my obsession and then that didn't really make me happy so i thought okay well maybe if i'm in the perfect relationship then i'll be happy so i would date around and try to find the perfect uh, boyfriend and then so I had a boyfriend I had a great job I had lost weight and then I really ran out of options like what else can I possibly do and that's when I experienced um, one of my greatest depressions so I just 
stopped being able, I stopped being motivated. I stopped being able to do anything. I um, couldn't even work. Like I would look at my my stuff and didn't really know what to do. Some days I I didn't even want to get dressed for the day. So my mom would come and she would help me. But nobody really knew. Um, I would then just kind of get up and, and keep going. And on the outside, it all looked perfect. And Jim Carrey has a great quote about depression. He says, uh, to be depressed is the need for deep rest from the person that you're trying so hard to be. And that was definitely my experience. So luckily, my sister meditated, which I thought was super weird at the time. Like, why is she sitting there doing nothing when there are so many things to do? You know, and if you're going to wake up early, at least go work out or something. So I was the least likely meditator. Like, I just didn't like the idea at all of just, just doing nothing. Didn't make sense to me. Uh, and uh, But I again, I just like, I didn't know what else to do. So uh, she recommended a, recommended a book called Wherever You Go, There You Are by John Kabat-Zinn. And I thought, ha, huh, just the title alone was really telling, you know, because I'd gone to all these places, I'd done all these things, but really at the end of the day, everywhere I went, I found myself. And if I wasn't at ease with myself, if I didn't like and value myself independent of my achievements, there was really no place or diet or person that was going to get me there. So I did the mindfulness-based stress reduction course with her, which was a lovely start to my journey. And I've been very lucky in that um, I've been able to maintain a pretty consistent practice since then in a variety of ways. But that was really the start, I would say. Interesting. So, so it all started with uh, with M uh, MBSR, and uh, I know that you've uh, gone on to lots of other. Uh, different techniques, different uh, different backgrounds, different cultures, different all sorts of different things. So, how did you go f further on your trip once you had that little bit of uh, MBSR with you? Where did that lead you? Yeah, so I found that um, it's a spiritual journey. Often tends to me, at least for me, these little again like crumbs along the way, right? So when I was at my MBSR course my mindfulness-based stress reduction course, which I just loved. I loved the idea that you're more than your thoughts. I was like, oh, thank God, I can finally relax and I don't have to think my way out of every problem. So I was loving that. And then this girl said that she went to this meditation retreat that was free. And I was like, what? What's that? So it turned out it's a Goenka-style Vipassana retreat. And I went and so I signed up for that. It was a 10-day retreat at the Ontario Vipassana Center. And they have these centers actually all over the world. And they're what um, our teacher Shinzen Yang would call industrial strength meditation. You go, you wake up at four, and you sit for 10 hours a day with just a little walking in between uh, for 10 days. And so I did that. And it was spectacular while I was there. So I had at about day four and I tell my kids about it and they think it's so funny. I basically became a tree. Like I was just not in my sitting meditation. I was just walking around, looked at a tree and something happened where everything just kind of opened up and I was the tree. It's so hard to put it in words. I can see it. Everything was super bright. And I knew then that that was real, that that was possible. And the only thing that kept me from seeing that was the many layers that I had in my perception. So that was like a big opening for me. 
But then coming back from the retreat was really hard. Integrating back into life, I was still working at my law firm, and I was like, how do I do this human thing again? So that that was, it's like, you know, you, you kind of make some progress, at least for me, and then you hit some sort of block, and it's like, well, why is it so hard to live my day, you know? And then again, I started to get into depression, and the sitting was just making me heavy. So that's when I found yoga. Because the movement would help me stay embodied. Because it's like, if I sat in meditation, I was like over here somewhere, which is really nice. But then I had to go and be in the world. So the yoga allowed me to contact whatever else is there while still being in my body. And so that's something that over the years, I became a yoga teacher and now I'm a yoga therapist. So the embodiment of that experience of being such a vast open space uh, has been really important to me in my journey. Great. And, and so from MBSR to yoga to Gwenka, well, sorry, from MBSR to Gwenka to yoga, how did you find UM, Unified Mindfulness? Yeah. So um, after a little while, actually it was during my, my MBSR course, another flash that came to me is, I'm going to teach this one day. I just really felt that all the other things I was trying to do in the world through, you know, social justice, I was like in Model UN, like we had done all these things to try to make the world better. I realized that until we get our minds right and until people realize how much suppressed anger and fear they have, like they're not going to make much progress on, on the real thing. So I felt like I wanted to teach it. So as I was doing my yoga and my meditation, I came across different teachers and there was this woman, Maria Gonzalez, who was in Toronto, who um, taught mindfulness. So I connected with her. I said, how do I start teaching? So I became her student and she was a student of Shinzen Yang. So she taught me a lot of, of, um, of that, of, of Shinzen's unified mindfulness system. I don't think it was even called that at the time. And also in one of my yoga studios, they had Shinzen come. So I was able to do a retreat with him. And again, I had one of these big experiences where I felt like he just, his presence was so powerful that he was able to move some deep heaviness out of my body, or that's how I perceived it anyway. So I was very um, impressed by him and his way. And so later on, as I was continuing to teach and learn and grow, um, I came across uh, both this life practice program where you can just talk to him about where you're at on your journey. So getting feedback from others has been really important, people I admire and trust. So I got Shinzen's feedback and he said, you should do the Pathways course, which is part of the Unified Mindfulness System. So I went ahead and did that. And that's how we met, which is really exciting. Yeah. Great. great. Um, I, I think... What is interesting is, so you've been on this path, like I said, from MBSR to Goenka to Vipassana to to uh, uh, yoga to to UM. At this point, at that point in your in your in your journey, you must have seen some real changes in you, in your perception, in your world. So. What were some of the benefits that you saw, as well as mm. some of the obstacles you may have encountered also, uh, having been on the past? So what were the benefits and the obstacles once you were so deeply entrenched in, in your in your journey? Yeah, wonderful question again. So um, again, I was lucky because 
through the meditation practice and then eventually the yoga, I could have an experience of peace. I could tap into something that was, that allowed me to finally rest. Oh, I don't have to try so hard. I can just kind of befriend myself. I'm okay. Like I'm, I'm worthy and valuable because I'm a human being because just like flowers are beautiful, just like babies are beautiful. I'm beautiful too. Like I don't have to work so hard to prove my, my beauty, my worth in this world. So that was an experience that I had only on my mat, uh, or cushion for a long time. So then it was a matter of, but I still need to, do things in the world. And that was my challenge. And that's where I think the unified mindfulness system uh, and now the tailored mindfulness experience has really helped me to then say, how do I integrate this into my day? So say, for example, for a long time, I wanted to change jobs. So I went from private practice to public service where I am now. And for a long time, I didn't like my job. I thought, oh, it's okay, but I really should be you know, teaching mindfulness, doing more spirituality. I thought it was just okay. And I was actually quite angry at work. I wasn't happy with like my supervisors. And and then I started to bring the same principles of the practice of, can I just be open to this? Can I be curious? Can I befriend this moment to my dissatisfaction at work? And ultimately, it allowed me to notice that a lot of my suffering was because of my pattern. Uh, wanting to be the best, wanting people to appreciate and love me and, and not respecting other points of view. Like I started to just see this, like my own mental chatter rather than can I just be open to this experience and go where life would like me to go. So over time, using my life as a teacher, whether it's my work or whether it's my children, which is a whole other challenge, or my marriage, or friendship, really anything, you know, standing in line, being in traffic, being frustrated when your computer doesn't work. That has, now that is my teacher. It's like, what technique can I apply in this moment that would be helpful? Uh, so maybe I'll just mention one more example. So this morning, I, uh, I just recently got a gum surgery. Last night, we got another vaccine. Um, and, and I have like some stomach cramps. So I had all this pain, <laughs> like in all parts of my body, you know, and, and it was just so unpleasant. Uh, and if it hadn't been for my mindfulness practice, I think it would have just ruined my day. I would have been like, oh, you know, I have all these things to do. And I'm like, I'm so angry. But instead it was like, okay well, what can I do? You know, how can I support myself? So, you know, I took some pain medication and then I did a little bit of stretching and I, you know, just, just thought about how can I approach each, each moment in a more restful and peaceful way. Uh, and all of a sudden it's like, I'm better. Like it's not all better, but, but I'm able to be bigger than the pain. And I find that's true for physical pain and emotional pain. So the reduction in suffering has been huge as a result of my mindfulness practice. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> that's amazing. Uh, you came up with two really, really important um, points that I, I, I'd like to just uh, emphasize. One of them was you said you learned that you were enough. 
And that's such a huge thing to learn. I would say in all the students I've, well, not all the students, most of the students I've, that was their biggest, that's their biggest stumbling block is self-compassion, self-love, self-esteem. That realizing that you are enough, you don't have to have, in your case, more degrees after your name and more, and, 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 and more stature. You, you are enough as you are. And that's such an important lesson to learn. And that's, really what mindfulness can give us is that peace, that contentment of where we are. Like you said, wherever you are, that's where you are. So it gives us that, that peace. And that, that's really super important that you, that, that you mentioned that. Um, and, and the other part is um, bringing your mindfulness practice into your daily life, not just making it a cushion practice, but bringing it into your daily life. And, uh, you know, actually, um, if you're not mindful, in between your sits. Your sits are not that vital. <laughs> you have to be mindful in your sits and everything that's in between your sits. Um, you know, and, and that's what makes us raise our base level of happiness, as Shinjan puts it. So yeah, that's a, that's really a great way of putting it. Um, and going back to your yoga for a bit, do you, f- how do you find that the, Mindful, you were talking about the mindfulness and yoga as two separate things. How do you put them together? And are they meant to be put together? And, um, how do you sort of work those two sides of your brain, your, your physical side, your, your mental side? How does that all work together? Yeah. You know, I'm laughing because I remember when I first tried to do, do it all again, because that's my pattern in, in my, in my practice, right? So I went to the Goenka retreat and they told us we have to practice for two hours on the cushion a day, one hour in the morning, one hour at night. I had a full-time job at a law firm, but I also was big into working out. So I thought, okay, I'm going to wake up like super early, do one hour meditation, then go to the gym. <laughs> and, then, and it was like, my day was just crammed with stress around my practice, right? So that didn't work. So then that's the yoga um, is beautiful because you can merge the two, right? So um, in your yoga practice or the way um, that I approach it, uh, you can have, uh, and also unified mindfulness supports with you, you can have um, an attention technique that you're working on. So for example, focus on flow. So as I'm moving, I'm focusing on the sensation of flow throughout my body, you know, or a concentrated Focusing in on the breath, if that's helpful to you. Some people, I find that helpful, but some people might not. So if you have, um, a focus technique that you're using in your movement practice, that counts <laughs> as formal practice, right? Um, so, so that's one way you could just say, for example, move for 10 minutes. If you find movement, um, is soothing to you, it's very good for, uh, and I've learned over the years that I have, um, uh, complex trauma from childhood. I had no idea, you know, and, and maybe even in generational, I don't even know where it comes from, but there's a lot of um, darkness and heaviness in my body um, that I move through in my yoga practice. So if you find that helpful, then you can make that, that's enough. But I also enjoy sitting. So then usually what I'll do is some days I'll do a little bit more movement and then a shorter sitting practice. Some days I'll do, um, just a sitting practice, um, and uh, some days I'll do um, a longer sitting practice and just a little movement. So I, I kind of like switch it up. Um, but again, it's so 
unique. And as a yoga therapist and now as, as a mindfulness coach with the tailored mindfulness experience, I see that it's really about working with the student and finding what is the time of day that works best. Like one of my teachers said, you have to also have an evening practice. I don't do evening practice. I watch TV with my husband in the evening because at the end of the day, that's like, that's my practice. <laughs> I just need to watch Netflix. So I do a morning practice, you know, and um, so you really have to find, and then other people, they don't like the morning and they might need to do it in the middle of the day or in the evening. Um, but kind of merging the two, the movement and um, the attention skills. And then how you move is really important depending on how you're feeling and how you breathe also can impact your energy level. So that's more like the yoga therapy side of it, but you can learn to kind of balance out your system through your movement, um, your breath, um, and the type of meditation that you do, as, as, you know, as we know through the tailored mindfulness experience. So it's, uh, I, I, it's, you have a lot of balls in the air as a juggler right now. I mean, between, between your kids and your, and your career and your yoga practice and your mindfulness practice and your TME and all that stuff you're juggling at the same time. And, um, that, that could be, I know a lot. And you're not, um, you know, it's not just you. There's a lot of people out there doing so many different things at once. And, um, how do you, how do you find that your practice has helped you not get overwhelmed by it all? Yeah, so this is actually an issue that I had um, that was a big problem for me. I liked to plan my day. And then when new things came in that weren't what I expected, I like freaked out. I was overwhelmed. I didn't know, would I meet the deadline? I had like fear of deadlines. Like, am I going to be able to get everything done? And then I would be in a constant kind of like hurry up mode trying to get things done. So that's something that I've worked with over many, many years. And I have to say, it's a habit, right? Like, it's like, we all have different habits. And a lot of us have this habit that like, oh, if we have a lot to do, let's just do it all really fast and as much as possible. And that's how I burnt out, right? So now I don't do that. So I actually have a timer. I have, it's called a tomato timer. You can Google it. It's 25 minutes of work, five minutes of rest. Um, so I work in 25 minute chunks. That means I need to know what my priority is for those 25 minutes. So depending on what's coming in, and I learned this actually during the pandemic, of course, typical to my overdoing things personality. Not only did I have my kids and I was homeschooling them because they weren't going to school, but I decided to take a job as a, as a manager in emergency health services in the oh, middle of the pandemic, <laughs> dealing with the ambulances. <laughs> so I'm like dealing with the ambulances that have like nine hour delays. I have my kids at home. We got a new puppy. And so that it was like my training ground for you don't know what the set next second is going to hold. So you are just present for for that task. So even within my 25 minutes, you know, if my daughter needed something and I wouldn't get it perfect, sometimes I'd be like, no, I'm working on something. But then. It's like, well, my daughter is a priority over my work because there's other people that can support me in my work. So I would like turn to her, deal with what she needed, right? So in each moment, what's the most important thing? And then all of a sudden, each day is a beautiful day. And and the the intention is always to be as helpful as possible and 
uh, as present as possible and whether it's like cleaning up a milk spill or working on an ambulance delay or teaching mindfulness or it doesn't really matter at the end of the day because we're just contributing our our presence to that and in that way I feel like we do actually make the world better. Wow, so beautiful. Perfect, perfectly said. Um, and that brings me to a question. And I, I hope I'm not putting you on the spot, but you've had time to think of it. What would be your advice to somebody who's just starting out and just starting to realize that they want to make a, 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 an inner journey? What would be your advice? Mm. Put you on the spot. So... <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, it's a great question. And I, I'm, I think that if, if people actually are aware that they want to make an inner journey, that's amazing. Uh, for me, I just really wanted to reduce suffering. So I find some people might come to this practice because like me, you know, maybe you're just doing a lot and you feel really overwhelmed and unhappy, even though things look good or, you know, things are stressful at home or stressful at work. Um, so even if that's the, the motivation, I think that's enough. And if you also have an interest in understanding yourself, you know, which is another, um, element of happiness, uh, fantastic. I think that might even make it a little bit easier, uh, because when you're trying to start out with, um, trying to reduce suffering, it's possible that at the beginning, you'll become more aware of your suffering. And that was a surprise to me. You know, well, here I am. It's like, I'm trying to not be depressed. And then I open my awareness and I find, wow, I'm like really sad. I'm really sad and I'm really tired. And when I started practicing, luckily I had a little bit of time off work. So I would practice in the morning and I was so tired that I would go back to bed. And I slept for like a month. Uh, because I was so tired. So it's normal if you start out and you don't feel great at the beginning. So just doing um, a little bit of a practice, a technique that feels good to you and feels easeful and it feels like it's nourishing yourself um, in very small chunks. So I always say, Start with five minutes. Like another example, my husband, he kind of wanted just to, he knew he gets headaches. He wanted to start a yoga practice. But for years, he was like, yeah, I should do that. You know, I should do that. And then I would give him like half hour practice. I would draw it out for him. Here, do this in the morning. Never worked. I said, you know what? Let's do five minutes. I drew him like three poses and he's been doing it like at least three or four times a week ever since for like a few years now. So make it small, like so small that it's like, I could actually do that. And one more thing is that if you don't even feel like you have five minutes, take an activity that you're already doing. Like if you're already walking to the subway on your transit or walking the dog or, you know, making your breakfast, make that your mindfulness activity. You just bring your attention to it uh, 100% as best you can. And that's, that's a good tip too when you're starting out. Yeah, those are wonderful ideas, and we'll get to that because that's really the basis of the TME uh, program. But I want that um, I've seen, I've had the pleasure of watching you teach, and um, I think you're probably one of the best I've seen. And you've had this stage, you've had a lot of teachers as well. What do you think separates a good teacher from an exceptional teacher? 
So I think to be a really good teacher of mindfulness, you need to have an established practice over a long period of time. Not to say that there aren't people that can be really dynamic and understand things intellectually and teach it, uh, but my personal experience has been that over the years and decades now of practice, you get to see within yourself almost anything <laughs> that will come up for another person. So my best teachers have always had a practice for over a long period of time. And also they're about understanding you as the student as opposed to just imposing um, a template type practice. So I've not done well with things like you have to practice for two hours a day. Like that didn't work for me. Or another one that I've received, you have to be vegan to do this practice. Like, no, <laughs> stay away from people that tell you that you have to do something in a particular way to do the practice. It's all... It's all student-led. Like, we are human beings too, teachers. Teachers are human, and the teacher needs to know that they're human, that they're imperfect, and that nobody understands your experience as well as you do. So if they can ask questions to get you to understand what works best for you, that's a good teacher, in my view. Great. Great. Yeah. Um, I, I, I would agree with everything you said. It's uh, it's. Good. The whole point of teaching is, I believe, sharing your vision. But you have to have a pretty in-depth vision to share in the first place. But um, I, I would just temper it with that. Also, I think that the best teachers uh, love their students, and the students know that there's a love there, and that helps mm. them through it. So, yeah, I would just add yeah. that in there. Um, so this is the a, a great question. After seeing so many different sides of mindfulness and being involved in so many different parts of it, I know that you're one of the co-creators of the TME program. And how has the TME program kind of been your view to putting it all together, all that you've learned together? And why, uh, you know, and, and what do you feel is the real benefits of TME over some of the others? Yes. So, um, and it kind of links a little bit with the last question, too, as I was thinking more about it, and you mentioned the love piece. It's almost like the teacher is the container. And I think we all need teachers. Um, if you, even if you're a teacher, you need a teacher, uh, and your students and it can, you know, help inform your teaching. So you just kind of hold the container. And then if you think of the student as like the little plant, right? Like it's like a little seedling. But you don't know, is, is the student going to be a sunflower? Or is it going to be a rose? Or is it going to be an ache, like a tree? You don't know. So then the beauty of the tailored mindfulness experience is that you have all the tools there. And I love that I can bring my own tools to the mix. So if I've done yoga therapy and that's been helpful to me, then that's something I can bring in. And, um, and, uh, and we rely also on Shinzen Young's unified mindfulness system that he's taken every single technique that exists out there basically and and put it into the system where we can use it so if you think of yourself the student as as a little a little seedling that needs to grow into a beautiful plant and bloom you're going to need different things at different times sometimes you're going to need more water sometimes you're going to have too much water and you're going to need 
um, you're going to need a little bit more sunshine, right? So, so within the tailored mindfulness experience, we have all of it. So if you need to develop your concentration skills, if that's the key thing, then you're going to do something like see, hear, feel, you know, or just see or, you know, just hear or something that really focuses in on building your ability to stay focused on an object. If you, uh, if you feel like you're not sure what's going on, there's a lot going on and it's very complicated, then maybe you need to build your sensory clarity and maybe there's particular techniques that will work towards that. Like, for example, feel flow. Where do you notice that there's movement in the body? And where is there less movement? So you start to check in with what's happening actually within my body or, you know, within the environment, what's flowing, what's not. Or maybe you're just like really tight, um, you know, really stressed and you just really need to relax. Like you need to figure out how to find rest in the body. So then we have a technique for that too. It's called feel rest. And how can you access rest and how you can you create it for yourself? And actually, the key one for me as somebody that struggles with anxiety and depression and a lot of negative thinking, I still, even after so many years of practice, wake up kind of in a negative place. So the feel good uh, practice where you um, create, you can, you know, notice if there's any good already existing within you or around you. Uh, and if you don't even notice it, which sometimes I might not, you can create it through uh smiling, through your thoughts, um, through responding to something in your environment, and, th and through also supporting yourself. So warmth towards yourself um, has been a key ingredient of, of my practice, what keeps me going, that sense of supporting yourself. And again, having a teacher to lead you in this in in this uh, practice because how do you know you can get kind of lost in well what should i do today you know and that's where a teacher can help you decide at a particular time what to do yeah it's so true i mean uh i i've worked with uh students and um they say that uh they, you know who would go on to uh one of these uh recorded uh, apps that has uh, meditations on them, headspace or insight time or whatever and that's all they did and then they got a competent teacher and their whole their whole world changed once they had a competition right you know the example i always give is you could watch all the videos you could listen to all the experts on how to swim you could watch uh, mike phelps uh videos you could do whatever but until you get yeah. into that water and start to try to move in the water you don't know what swimming is so that's a teacher that you you need to have a teacher that will take you into that water um but yeah, that was yeah. And one more thing about that example, what I love is you try it out. And this is another part of the, uh, the TME, the tailored mindful experience model. You learn something, you try it out in your life, like you go swim and then come back and then say, you know, this was hard or that was hard. So then we refine together. Exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Perfectly put. And for a final question, what is next for Paula? Conquered so many so many hills, so many mountains you've climbed. What's next for Paula? You know, this is a, a funny question because as, as I mentioned, I'm an achievement junkie. So I try my best to, to keep my focus on the intention and less on what it looks like on the outside. So I would say my intention is 
as best I can to be clear and to be helpful in every interaction and every moment of my day. And then from that, there's an aspiration that comes out to share the teachings because they've brought so much joy to my life and they make everything in my life better. And so I'm so excited to be collaborating with you, Mitch, and with Dave on the MT Mindfulness and getting the tailored mindfulness experience out there to, to help everybody. So happy to be um, sharing on, on this podcast. Uh, I also am doing some offerings for lawyers because uh, I know what that life is like and, and how challenging that work is. So I, um, I do offer workshops and coaching for lawyers. And also uh, within the Ontario Public Service where I work, I teach uh, mindfulness programs for leaders and I teach uh, actually a mindfulness program for all public servants. So just continuing to teach, whether it's in uh, uh, large groups as a speaker, small groups or individual one-on-one coaching. So yeah, that's what I love to do. Well, you could tell that you love to do it because you do it so well. And uh, I think it's a privilege to be associated with you in this program that we're working on together. And I'm sure whatever your next achievement is, it will be amazing, like all your last ones. So thank you for joining us here on the podcast today. Uh, I'm sure you've been a big help to all the listeners. And uh, good luck in all your hopes and dreams. Thanks so much, Mitch. Bye-bye, Paul. Bye-bye.